Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Radio LLB, the Living Lies blog and podcast. What a deal. Foreclose on loans you don't own and keep the money. I wish I could get that deal. Everyone thinks they know about the Chase Wamu fraud, but the evidence is that few lawyers really know how to use it. Hi, Neil Garfield here. This is Thursday, August 15th. 2019. You already know the who, where, why, and how Chase defrauded and confused borrowers, lawyers, and the courts about their role in the purchase of WAMU, Washington Mutual, from the EIC receiver and the U.S. trustee in bankruptcy in a purchase and assumption agreement executed on September 25, 2008. The bottom line is that Chase now claims it bought loans in that transaction. It's been claiming that since the transaction was executed, and it's been acting as though it owned it even before that transaction was executed. The obvious problem with that is that Chase never paid anyone for any debt, note, or mortgage originated by WAMU and is therefore unable to legally foreclose. But they're doing it anyway by tricking the courts, lawyers, and even borrowers into thinking that Chase owns the debt. Owning the debt is a universal condition precedent to foreclosing on a mortgage or deed of trust. If you have not paid for it, you are not a beneficiary under a deed of trust, nor are you a successor mortgagee under a mortgage deed. See Article 9, Section 203, Uniform Commercial Code, as adopted by all 50 states. And I know that Nevada has a contrary ruling. But the fact is, that is merely operating on presumptions. This is a condition precedent. It means that you can't do it unless you satisfy that one condition of owning the debt by reason of having paid for it. Chase didn't. The consideration was zero. There were no loans to buy because WAMU had already sold them 
before, during, or contemporaneously with its origination of loans. Tonight, thanks to the field work by investigator Bill Padalo, we talk about what evidence exists of the Chase skullduggery and what evidence does not exist that they ought to have. And we'll talk about how to use Bill Padalo's newly discovered evidence that will be presented on this broadcast and how to use the absence of evidence supporting the false claims made by Chase or JPM Chase. So we'll talk about the role of the forensic auditor as a reporter of facts as exemplified by what Bill Padalo uh, has done and what he'll talk about tonight. If you, listening out there, are a forensic examiner who has uncovered important evidence and not merely some theory, you too can be highlighted on this show. Just submit your findings to Neil F. Garfield at Hotmail.com. N-E-I-L, don't forget the F as in Franklin, Garfield, like the cat, at Hotmail.com. Remember, this program is being recorded, and you can always come back to this recording or any of our other shows by going to blogtalkradio.com and searching for the Neil Garfield Show. And remember, despite what you might hear from those who are not regulated licensed professionals, only a court order can stop a foreclosure or foreclosure sale. Even if the judgment of foreclosure or the foreclosure sale or the eviction is absolutely 100% void, the only way to reverse that is by legally attacking it as void and getting a judge to agree that it was void and issuing an order setting it aside. That's our system. It's not enough to be right. You need an order from the judge saying you're right. And the fact is that most judges are reluctant to grant such an order and will look for ways to avoid doing so. So your job is to be right and to persuade the court that you are right and to do so convincingly, so convincingly that the judge can no longer avoid the truth and will rule against their own bias. Presentation in court is extremely important in as much as it needs to be clear, simple, straightforward, logical, credible, and persuasive. That's why you hire lawyers who do that for a living. In my opinion, good, persuasive, convincing presentation is accomplished by close collaboration between the lawyer or the homeowner on the one hand and the forensic auditor, auditor or examiner on the other hand. That kind of collaboration will improve the work product of both the lawyer and the investigator. Those who are doing forensic analysis and reporting provide a valuable service if they give facts and if they report discrepancies and, and inconsistencies that can be used in attacking the case against you. Remember, the issue is not how can I prove that, it's about how can I shoot enough holes in the case against me that the judge can't stand it anymore. It's a cumulative process. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida, and this show is brought to you by the Living Lies blog. 
Kikisianas, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. Thanks to the continuing uptake in donations, we were able to restart our schedule of free and paid seminars. The next free one will be in October. Watch the Living Lies blog for details in the coming week. And we'll do more as the donations roll in. Makes it easier and easier, and the seminars better and better. So I've been trying to do my best here for the last 13 years in articles, seminars, and appearances on radio and television to get the point across that homeowners can, do, and should win most of the foreclosure cases brought against them. Most people don't realize that most of those cases are winnable. Neither the blog nor the audio, radio shows are supported by anything other than the donations. I'm not selling anything here. And the seminars cannot occur unless we have a substantial increase in donations to offset the cost of creating and presenting the seminar such that the cost can be brought up within an affordable range or zero cost for homeowners and lawyers. So hit the donate button on the Living Lives blog or call 954-451-1230 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. If what I'm doing here has value for you, then chip in. It's not just for yourself. It's for all consumers. William Padalo is a former cop and currently licensed private investigator. He is specially trained in forensic investigation, and he has decades of experience in doing it. For the last 10 years or so, Bill has been performing forensic examinations for hundreds of homeowners, many times with great results, in which homeowners retained their home, and some even received monetary damages to shut up about the great fraud perpetuated upon American homeowners, American taxpayers, and federal and state and local government. I've worked with Bill for about five or six years now, and I always found him to be a man of integrity and deep commitment to the truth. Bill, welcome to the show again. Well, thank you very much for the kind words, Neil, and for for having me on. This is uh, a privilege, and um, and this information that we're putting out there, I hope, helps a lot of folks because uh, you and, and have been fighting this and, and providing information for years, and and uh, I just hope that at some point. Um, we're going to we're going to see some real breakthroughs and uh, and start seeing some uh, larger results. At least that's that's the hope. <laughs> uh, the evidence that I, I wrote about today that you posted on the blog actually it involves my own case. And if some of the listeners uh, recall, um, for about the last year, uh, I'm I've been fighting as a plaintiff. I filed an ejectment action in Oregon courts to. Uh, gain possession of uh, my home that was originally foreclosed on um, do uh, primarily the, the the grounds for seeking that is the Jezanowski decision um, and Peeler decision which I had rescinded my loan uh, timely and so on and so forth and and part of the reason uh, 
I've been able to actually obtain certain documents and make some headway and find this evidence really is because I've been dealing with a lot of blowback, as most people out there who have tried to uh, argue TILA rescission, uh, from the court uh, that just doesn't seem to want to understand or rule on the effect of the rescission. So so until uh, we get this resolved, um, I, I fortunately I've made some breakthroughs here on, on some evidence that I'm going to talk about. Um, first of all, uh, just a little background here. It's a WAMU loan course that went through the FDIC. And one of, oh, I didn't go to the FDIC due to rescission, so I just want to clarify that. But the, the story as for the foreclosure is that uh, the narrative is that J.P. Morgan Chase foreclosed. Uh, but that's not what the documents say. And what's real interesting is I'm constantly faced, and I'm sure this is happening with other people all across the country, I'm constantly faced with a narrative that's put into pleadings or everything else from opposition counsel in these cases, but especially in mine, saying a narrative that does not match what the documents themselves say. And that's where they're getting all these presumptions. So, for example, the story on their side is J.P. Morgan Chase foreclosed. Well, that's not true. According to the recorded documents, Washington Mutual Bank, in my case, is the party who declared the default and carried out the sale uh, in 2009, long after it had been closed by the Office of Thrift Supervision and the FDIC. So therefore, in my research, as I stated, like I think it was last week's show, the only party who can continue to operate the business as Washington Mutual Bank would be the FDIC. And there's absolutely no record of the FDIC anywhere in the records. So as the sale uh, goes through, um, eventually the, there's a sale to a third party. And that's the party who I'm, face, uh, who I'm suing right now for possession of the property. And their story is that they bought the property from J.P. Morgan Chase. And their story is that uh, the list pendants that was filed prior to their conveyance through a special warranty deed does not apply to them for some reason. So uh, it's basically asking the court to simply just you know overlook the list pendants uh, issue and um, – and, and rule in our favor, so on and so forth. Well, I've looked at these documents, obviously, because I've been in various stages of litigation for a very long time, ever, probably ever since 2010 on this. And it's really funny that, you know, you can pull these documents out and you can look at them and look at them and look at them. And I've, I swear I've looked at this thing hundreds of times. But, it, but some of the information that I had seen didn't become relevant until I discovered new additional information that's helped put this jigsaw puzzle together. So I've been sitting here with the puzzle pieces all out on the table, slowly assembling it. I got a pretty good idea and a fairly clear picture of what, what the puzzle is going to be. And I've had some side pieces laying around that I couldn't make heads or tails of that made no sense. They're really unusual and odd. Now, I, I kind of scold myself a little bit in the article I posted this morning about, you know, presuming Scrivener's errors, for example. So what I'm going to get to in a moment here is I discovered some information, and it's information that most people are not going to be able to get their hands on unless they find a way to get it through subpoena or formal discovery. The reason why it's difficult, and what I'm talking about here, is the real estate sales transactions between the realtors 
and the third-party buyer of the property. Um, foreclosed homeowners or whatever are going to have a hard time getting that. I happen to have gotten that, and um, I'll excite, I can't explain or I will explain at a future date how I came into these documents. But anyhow, it was within those documents that everything started to really become crystal clear as to what's going on here. And first of all, the story that J.P. Morgan Chase sold this home to the current occupants is literally not true. Because when I looked at the special warranty deed that was recorded in the records, I saw that in three spots the grantor is named on the document. At the top, in the body, and it's signed as the vice president of uh, the entity called J.P. Morgan Case Bank, Chase Bank National Association. Now, that has always struck me as being a little unusual, and it's the, the the logical way to look at that, if most people look at that, including a court, would say, well, that's just that's a scrivener's error. They they must have just printed that too fast. But obviously, they mean J P Morgan Chase Bank and a not this Case Bank Chase Bank. It just it looks too goofy and unusual. However, <clears throat> I I come to find out based on the new evidence that I saw that the real estate sales agreement does not involve J P Morgan Chase as the owner of the property. It's a number of agents. It's an agent for an agent of an owner, it says. Okay, so the owner, it's, and it says J.P. Morgan Chase acting as servicer for the owner. Right? Everywhere in the documents, the owner is disguised and never mentioned. So we have a series of agents. There's concern that no power of attorney documents exist not even in the public records for the successor trustee. There's all kinds of title issues going on here, but the sale agreement is entered into uh, on behalf of some owner that we don't know. And so that made me look at this special warranty deal a little closer. And when I Googled J.P. Morgan Case Bank, Chase Bank, N.A., and also J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, Chase Bank, one hit came up. And it shows that uh, there actually is an entity called J.P. Morgan Chase Bank Chase Bank National Association that appears on a financial report on a Malaysia company. And it appears that this entity, uh, this Chase entity, is a investor okay, or a shareholder in this corporation. Now, when I looked closer at this, what's so nefarious about this, okay, is that if they were going to claim that this was a Scrivener's heir or whatever, the actual document is applied with a stamp with this name uh, with the by and as filled in. Now, the whole purpose of creating a stamp, in my opinion, is to avoid Scrivener's heirs. They actually created a stamp that has this name, and I believe they used that name uh, intentionally to make it look and appear as though it is a Scrivener's heir. Um, and it also shows, or I would believe, that if you created a stamp like this, that it's been used many times over. But the reality of it is, this entity that's, that shows up nowhere in any of the SEC filings or anything for your, as a subsidiary of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co., uh, I did some more research, and I'm, I'm digging into 
the fact that there's literally thousands of these offshore tax haven subsidiaries that these entities are using. Chase has hundreds of them that are out of the purview of the SEC. They're out of the purview of any regulators. They're completely uh, hidden, and they don't have to report, and there's no information on them. But why? I kind of, you know, facetiously kind of joke in the article I posted this morning. I mean, who would create such a silly name? J.P. Morgan, Chase Bank, Chase Bank, and A. is such a redundant, stupid name, okay? It's clearly... I believe for you know for deceptive reasons. So now I've got a lot of really hard evidence to show that they that Chase didn't foreclose. The property certainly wasn't conveyed to the current occupants by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, and it was conveyed by an offshore subsidiary, and that the foreclosure was conducted by an owner that is intentionally being undisclosed in the real estate sales agreements. What do you think? Well, um, here's what I think. First of all, I think that what Chase did is a mirror of what Wells Fargo does and Citi and Bank of America. It's only at the tail end, sometimes after the foreclosure appears to be over, that after the position that they're the owner of the of the debt note and mortgage and had a right to foreclose and all that stuff uh, that they admit either in court or in writing that they are actually just a servicer. So that means they're admitting that everything they told the court before was a lie. Yep. And that the actual party who was entitled to foreclose was never present in court by their own admission. So I've seen this happen many times. And in, in many cases where I've been an observer, the lawyer doesn't pick up on it. it, it, it it's towards the end of trial that the robo-witness will refer to the plaintiff in a judicial foreclosure as the servicer on behalf of the investor or on behalf of the owner, as it is in your case. Well, that doesn't identify who that is or why they would be the owner. The second thing is, more to your question, I think, is that Chase Bank, Chase Bank National Association has a meaning here in this country. But, and, and, and it doesn't exist. Only uh, uh, Chase Bank National Association exists. But it could be the name of an actual offshore entity whose full name includes Chase Bank, Chase Bank, National Association, because in that jurisdiction, National Association are just words. Whereas here, if you use that entity name, you would be invoking uh, laws of uh, the federal government. 
in a foreign jurisdiction, whether it's Malaysia or Bermuda, which was used as a conduit for a lot of this stuff, uh, uh, it's, just, it's just a bunch of words. So what you have uncovered, in my opinion, is key evidence that, A, certainly because of the admissions involved with that, Chase was never the proper party to bring the foreclosure, never owned the debt note or mortgage, never paid for it. And B, it's a clear indication to me that the attempt here, or the not just the attempt, the uh, uh, the actual scheme was to create revenue out of somebody else's assets. And Chase did it based on the number of foreclosures that they successfully had, most of which were by default. The, the homeowners just walked away. They never contested. Chase made a couple hundred billion dollars offshore untaxable, and if they were challenged on it, they would claim that they were only getting repayment of principal that was due on a debt, when in fact they never owned the debt, and that statement of Chase as service for owner, that doesn't cut it. If you're saying that you're collecting a debt, then you need to say, and identify under our jurisprudence, you need to identify for whom that debt is being collected. Otherwise, you haven't stated a claim. So the problem remains, as I said at the beginning of the broadcast, that all this is true, but in order to get a court to rule in your favor, you got to chip away as, uh, like you're doing, Bill, piece by piece by piece. Here are the inconsistencies. Here are the gaps. Here are the unexplained things. The unexplained things I want discovery on. And you make it so that a judge is hard-pressed not to give in to you, even if grudgingly, to allow you step by step to proceed. And in the end, every case that I've ever won and every case that I know of that was ever won by other lawyers was done precisely that way, where in the course of discovery and then at trial, you break the, you break the witness down and you point out the inconsistencies in their documentation. So what do you think about that, Bill? No, absolutely, and um, uh and I'm really excited at a future date here to really disclose um, some more details of this that gets uh, really surprising. Um, one other side note that I'm sure you might want to comment quickly on is that when you follow the money trail in this particular transaction in the sales agreement, they sold the house for $285,000. And I do have the, I see some of the paperwork and checks on that. But, uh, 
Uh, I got a 1099-C from J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. for the full amount of what they declared was a default amount, which was just under a million dollars. Okay, so really, I'm curious now at this point is where did that $285,000? Who did that go and pay after the closing of this sale to the third party? Well, I guarantee you, it went to an offshore entity controlled by Chase Bank, and it's pure revenue. Uh, there's no possibility in my mind that it could have gone any other way. Uh, and, and that's the point here. You know, people say, well, why should the homeowner get a free house? Well, my question is, why should Chase get revenue off of somebody else's nickel? The fact that that somebody else is the fact that that somebody else has not come forward does not mean they don't exist, and maybe they're being barred from coming forward, whatever. But that should not be the problem of the borrower. The borrower only owes money to the person who either loaned them the money or to the person who paid money for the. And that that is all you can say about it. And so they're using those it. to just completely obliterate the non-judicial foreclosure statutes because in Oregon they have to record the assignments. And in the documents they state, in my case, that there's never been any assignments from WAMU to any other beneficiary. So they have to lie and fabricate all non-judicial foreclosures to get the end result. They have to. Right, exactly. They have to lie. They have to fabricate. And we just went way over time. I didn't realize it. Thank you, Bill Padalo, for coming on. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the